bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, January 10th, 2012. I'm recording this podcast on the road as I'm heading to Miami for the Novogratik Tax Credit Conference. Hopefully, I'll see some of our listeners there. I'll start this week's podcast with a look at the 20-member Congressional Conference Committee that's expected to start formal meetings next week to hash out legislation to extend the payroll tax holiday and other provisions. Those are provisions scheduled to expire at the end of February. In our local housing tax credit section, I'll review the recommendations that were issued by the Rental Policy Working Group, which has issued a report suggesting 10 ways to better align federal policy regarding affordable rental housing. Then, I'll remind listeners of an upcoming deadline for comments to be submitted about the new market tax credit program. I'll also review the latest QEI issues report, as well as discuss the state new market tax credit that's been proposed in California. In our renewable energy segment, I'll share the news of a merger between two national solar industry organizations. I'll also review a request for comments regarding right-of-way leases for renewable energy development on public lands, as well as describe a new tool developed by NREL, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. And finally, in our historic tax credit section, I'll discuss efforts in Kentucky to remove the cap from the state historic tax credit. So if you're ready, let's get started. In general news, as I mentioned last week, one of Congress's first items of business in the new year is to continue negotiations on a longer extension for the payroll tax holiday unemployment insurance, and other provisions that expire at the end of February. Leaders in both houses of Congress have named a total of 20 conferees who are expected to begin meeting next week. Now, House Speaker John Boehner appointed Representatives Dave Camp, Fred Upton, Greg Walden, Tom Price, Kevin Brady, Renee Elmers, Nan Hayworth, and Tom Reed. They'll represent the House GOP. House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi chose Representatives Sandy Levin, Javier Pacera, Chris Van Hollen, Allison Schwartz, and Henry Waxman to represent the Democrats in the House. Turning to the Senate, Senate Majority Leader Democrat Harry Reid appointed Senators Max Baucus, Ben Cardin, Jack Reid, and Bob Casey. And finally, Senate Minority Leader Republican Mitch McConnell selected Senators John Kyle, John Barrasso, and Senator Mike Crapo. Now, the business community is hoping that the legislation that comes out of this conference committee will include additional business tax extenders, such as extension of the New Market Tax Credit, as well as extension of the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit. There's also hope that a 1603 extension could be part of the legislation, as well as extension of the 9% floor for the low-income housing tax credit. However, BNA reported, and many of you know I tweeted this last week, Congressman Pacera has said that it's unlikely that additional extenders will be added to the agreement. 
Congressman Pacera, who, as I mentioned earlier, is one of several conferees on the conference committee, but he also is one of several members who also served on the Debt Reduction Supercommittee last summer, the failed Debt Reduction Supercommittee, I should note. He warned that attempting to negotiate issues beyond the items included in the two-month extender bill already, or I should say the two-month extender bill that was passed at the end of last year that expires at the end of February, that efforts to include additional provisions would be too risky because what would likely happen or possibly would happen is all the extenders would expire and you wouldn't really get an agreement by February 29th. So his view is keep the package to what it is and simply focus on ways to pay for extending it beyond February 29th. So stay tuned. If there's developments later this week, we'll tweet them, and we'll also update you next week in the Tax Prep Tuesday podcast on new developments in this area. In low-income housing tax credit news, on December 31st, the Rental Policy Working Group released a set of proposals for aligning federal rental housing policy. The group includes representatives from the White House Domestic Policy Council, the National Economic Council, the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, as well as HUD, USDA, and the Department of Treasury. The report is titled Federal Rental Alignment Administrative Proposals. The report suggests 10 ways to reduce the costs and burden of various affordable housing subsidy programs that are run by the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, the Department of Treasury, and others. Now, the proposals address issues that are identified during stakeholder gatherings and meetings held in July of 2010 and July of 2011, as well as a number of sub of meetings of the various subcommittees. The report defines each issue and then suggests solutions and pilot programs. Each discussion also estimates cost savings and identifies challenges to implementing the recommendations. Now, in summary, the group makes the following 10 recommendations. One, to align physical inspections, agencies should perform a single periodic physical inspection using the Uniform Physical Condition Standards and apply that inspection to all federal agencies with a vested interest in the property. Two, to reduce redundancy in tenant income reporting, the agency should develop common tenant income certification forms and recertification requirements. Three, to provide better financial reporting at HUD and USDA rural development properties, the agency should align federal financial statement requirements by having USDA defer to the HUD audit guidelines. Four, to align common energy efficiency requirements, the working group created a five-part framework that includes having properties exceed Energy Star criteria. Five, to address appraisal discrepancies, a free primer should be developed and published. The primer, this appraisal primer, should explicitly describe the general Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice, or USPAP, principles that do apply to the valuation of rental housing when public subsidies are provided. Six, to align market study practices, HUD and USDA should coordinate their guidance on market studies. Seven, to align subsidy layering, the group has created two working groups to establish a standard set of facts provided for each funding source, 
collect the facts in a standard format, and establish a timeline for sharing the facts among all funders. 8. To address capital needs assessment redundancies, the agency should develop a new single capital needs assessment template for federal and state agencies that administer rental housing program funds. 9. To improve sharing of information about owner defaults, USDA, Rural Development, and HUD should have greater access to each other's information. HUD should provide rural development access to HUD's Active Partners Performance System database, and USDA Rural Development should enter its owner performance data into HUD's system. And, number 10, to align fair housing and civil rights matters, the agency should renew their existing memorandums of understanding, enhance educational outreach and training, and enhance the quality control of noncompliance reporting to the IRS. Now, some of the proposals, such as those aligning physical inspections and subsidy layering, have already begun as pilot programs. The appraisal primer project, which is expected to take a year to complete, has not been starting at the time of this recording. The group anticipates that its alignment proposals will generate cost savings for the federal and state agencies, as well as developers and owners. For example, speaking of cost savings, the group estimates that aligning physical inspection requirements could save the federal government as much as $159 million over three years. Now, the group's recommendations can be found on the Rental Policy Working Group Hot Topic page. That's the Rental Policy Working Group Hot Topic page at www.novoco.com. Also, I encourage you to email me your thoughts on the proposals. Simply send an email to michael.novogradic at novoco.com. In New Market Tax Credit news, last week the City of Fife Fund reminded community development professionals of the deadline to submit comments about the New Market Tax Credit. As regular listeners will recall, the City of Fife Fund has invited comments on how to increase the effectiveness of the New Market Tax Credit while, at the same time, reducing costs and burdens on program participants. The request for comments was published in the Federal Register last year on November 7th. Now, the City of Fund is particularly interested in comments in the following areas. One, census tract eligibility and CDE commitments to invest in areas of higher distress. Two, whether there are certain businesses that CDE should be encouraged or discouraged from investing in. Third, the existing CDE community accountability rules. Fourth area, whether additional rules, restrictions, and requirements should be imposed related to fees and expenses charged by CDEs. Fifth, the CDFI fund's manner of evaluating various financial products in the application process. And sixth, the use of other federally subsidized financing in conjunction with new market tax credits. Now, the deadline to submit written comments is less than a month away. It's February 6th. I also note, as won't come as any surprise to you, I'm sure, the Novogradic New Market Test Working Group is working on submitting comments and will submit comments in response to this invitation. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the working group or participate in it, I'd invite you to contact my partner, Brad Elphick, or go to www.nmtcworkinggroup.com. Now, also... I wanted to note that last week, the City of Five Fund released the monthly update to its ongoing Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report, or the QEI Issuance Report. 
and it's obviously the last one for 2011. The report identifies the dollar amount of allocation authority that's been issued to investors and the amount remaining to be issued. And as I mentioned, it does down on a monthly basis. So in December, approximately $530 million of QEIs were finalized. Now this is more than twice the amount that was finalized in November. The amount still available in the market tax allocation authority remaining is approximately $3.8 billion. That's as of January 3rd. Now as you know, while technically this $3.8 billion shows as available, it only shows as available because it hasn't been finalized yet. Much of this money has already been set aside for transactions that are in the process of closing. So we have many clients are looking forward to the next round of allocation awards, expected to be in February, so that an additional $3.5 billion of allocation authority will become available. Now, if you are looking for help in finding an allocation, or you're looking for help in closing a transaction, I do encourage you to contact one of my partners. For instance, you could contact Annette Stevenson in our Cleveland, Ohio office, Owen Gray in our San Francisco office, or other partners in the Novogratic office near you. Also last week, on Wednesday specifically, California Assembly Bill 643 was amended to include the creation of a California New Market Tax Credit Program. AB 643 would authorize the California Tax Allocation Committee, or TCAC, to grant up to $50 million in state new market tax credits each year from 2013 through 2019. The stated goal of the program would be to stimulate economic development and hasten California's economic recovery. Investments including, but not limited to, retail businesses, real property, financial institutions, and schools would be eligible for the state new market tax credit. The proposal does give priority to applications that are submitted either by an entity that has a record of successfully providing capital or technical assistance to disadvantaged businesses, or communities or entities that intend to make qualified loan community investments in one or more businesses in which persons unrelated to the entity hold a majority equity interest. These are similar to the federal priorities that are used in determining who's eligible or who's victorious in applying for the federal new market tax credit. Now, as of 2010, nine states had enacted matching state programs. Those states are Ohio, Florida, Missouri, Louisiana, Mississippi, Kentucky, Illinois, Oklahoma, and Connecticut. Now, to learn more about these state programs and other aspects of the New Market Tax Credit Program, I do encourage you to join Novogratz & Company in San Diego for our New Market Tax Credit Conference. It's January 26th and 27th. As I mentioned, we will be discussing the California, the post-California New Market Tax Credit as well as what's in store for the federal new market tax credit. We do have well over 450 folks registered already, so it'll also be a great networking opportunity. You can register online at www.novoco.com backslash events. Turning to Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, last week, the Solar Energy Industries Association announced that it has officially merged with the Solar Alliance. The Solar Energy Industries Association is the national trade association for the solar energy industry. And the Solar Alliance was a national advocacy organization committed to establishing solar policies at the state level. Effective immediately, the Solar Alliance will operate under the Solar Energy Industries Association brand in an effort to present a unified solar industry voice and advocacy efforts at the state level. Carrie Cullen Hitt, who was the president of the Solar Alliance, 
is now Vice President for State Affairs at the Solar Energy Industries Association. Now, turning to the federal level, the Bureau of Land Management has published an advance notice of proposed rulemaking. This advance notice is inviting input from the public about establishing an efficient competitive process for issuing right-of-way leases for solar and wind energy development on public lands. The Bureau says that it believes such a process would help ensure fair access to leasing opportunities for renewable energy development and capture fair market value for the use of public lands. The agency also says that existing regulations limit the competitive process to procedures that are allowed for responding to overlapping right-of-way applications. As such, it's seeking input on how best to offer public lands through a nomination and competitive process instead of just by right-of-way applications. Comments regarding this topic will be accepted until February 27th, so more than a month and a half away to submit comments. Now, I'd also like to note a new development Last week, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, INREL, announced that it has developed a new geospatial application that allows users to map potential renewable energy resources in the United States. Now, this is a free resource. The interactive tool is called RE Atlas. INREL says RE Atlas is designed to facilitate energy policy development, investment, and education by making high-quality data accessible and easy to understand. The tool creates dynamic maps of renewable resources. These renewable resources include biomass, geothermal, hydropower, solar, and wind. RE Atlas can display resources individually or in a composite fashion. Now, as I mentioned, the application is free to use, and you can find it online at maps.nrel.gov. That's maps.nrel.gov. In historic tax credit news, Preservation Kentucky a statewide not-for-profit historic preservation organization, has released a position paper urging lawmakers to remove the cap from the Kentucky Historic Preservation Tax Credit. Since the creation of the Kentucky Preservation Tax Credit in 2005, more than 311 projects have used the tax credits. Under the program, a 20% tax credit is allowed to income-producing projects and or local government-owned properties, and a 30% tax credit is allowed for homeowners for certified rehabilitation work. The tax credit became refundable back in 2009, but since that year it has also been subject to an annual $5 million cap. Now if applicants request more than the $5 million cap in a given year, then $5 million worth of tax credits are divided among all of the applicants. According to Preservation Kentucky, Demand for the credit has exceeded $5 million every year since 2006. The result is that applicants end up with less than the 20 or 30% of the rehabilitation costs they'd otherwise be entitled to under the program. And, as a consequence, developers and property owners do not know how much they'll receive in tax credits until after they've applied to the Kentucky Heritage Council for their credits. On average, with the apportionment formula in place, and the annual cap of $5 million, the Heritage Council estimates that recipients receive a six-year average of less than 50%, actually 45%, of their eligible credit. Now, in its position paper, Preservation Kentucky argues four key points. It says that the cap 
limits the viability of preservation projects for local governments and private owners. It says a more understandable credit would provide a stronger market for craft skills and it would translate into the development of higher paying skilled construction jobs. It also notes that additional new jobs would be created if the cap was done away with because of the additional rehabilitation work. And it notes that more buildings would be preserved, resulting in increased tax revenues for state and local governments. Preservation Kentucky and the Kentucky Main Street have designated January 25th and 26th as Historic Preservation Lobby Days. As such, Preservation Kentucky is asking its members to advocate for the historic tax credit at the state capitol on January 25th and 26th. Those interested in participating should contact their state legislatures to make appointments to visit. Interested parties can also contact Preservation Kentucky for assistance. If you're looking for the position paper, just go to www.preservationkentucky.org. That's www.preservationkentucky.org. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter, and I hope to see you in Miami at the end of this week at the Novogratz Tax Credit Conference. This is Michael Novogratz, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratz and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novogratz.com slash podcast or by subscribing to the Novogratz Report on tax credits in iTunes. Novogratz and Company, LLP, is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with 13 offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novogratz.com.